0: Hey, it's Konzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome
1: to The Baldcast. A production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth.
0: Well, Trent Bray has been uh, on the job now for a little bit of time. He's had a chance to get his feet underneath him. Had a signing day. Oregon State football coach Trent Bray is joining us. I gotta ask you before we get into uh the college stuff, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did, yeah. Tell me what happened to my 49ers.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I can I don't know if I can answer that question. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one.
0: Do you when you're watching a game like that, can you just watch it or are you looking at um, what's the front? What's the, uh, you know, what 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 formation are they in? You know, uh, how are they disguising a coverage? You know, what are you looking at?
1: Yeah, it is it is very hard to watch football and not think about those things. Yeah, I, I can't watch it as just a fan and, and see what happens. I'm always doing that type of stuff, absolutely.
0: And as a coach now, as a head coach, you're probably thinking about, you know, uh, a lot made of Kyle Shanahan and the overtime and knowing the rules. I mean, there's so many things that, like I got to be honest with you, I was googling the overtime rules what, when it went to overtime, and you, don't, you as a coach, you don't have time to do that on the sideline.
1: No, no, you got to go in and then, that was something we, we've, I've, we've done with Coach Smith over the last six years. You know, we always talked about, you know, we call it FBI football intelligence, and we went through every week just all the different scenarios that you wouldn't even think of that had happened throughout college football to prepare ourselves for those situations. So that's something I continue to do.
0: I love that. How's, how did recruiting go for you in this first phase uh, as you see it?
1: I, I thought it went great as you know I thought our staff did a great job of identifying you know positions of need right now and in getting those out of the portal and then also looking at young guys with, with some measurables that fit what we need at those positions and getting real good young guys that we can develop for the future.
0: The, you know it you always talk about the kind of kid you want at Oregon State or the kid you want in your culture can you can you kind of describe what those traits are?
1: You know it really it's self motivator um that's where it starts we want we want people that are hungry that are motivated by being successful and then then within that they need to be tough um tough minded and disciplined people and if we, if we can get a collection of those guys, we'll be successful.
2: Will
0: you be able to not? pace up and down the sideline away from it all. They're going ex- they're going to expect you as a head coach to be kind of in the middle there. You're going to be okay with that next season.
1: Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. I'll, I'll be all over the place and try to dodge the camera as much as I can. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, and you're looking at, you know, I know you you like to watch a little bit on the on the screen, like the jumbo screen because you can see a little mm-hmm. bit better there. And, you know, mm-hmm. I always I always kind of wonder well, I even saw it in a little bit in the Super Bowl where you saw some of the players who between plays are looking up at replays to see what happened on a play.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's just – especially like interior stuff. You know, did a guy miss a gap when they're blitzing or something like that? You can just see better on the screen sometimes. You were a, th-
0: a three-sport kid in high school, Pullman High School in Washington, all-state honors, football. You played, uh, You played baseball and basketball. What did you get out of those other sports that – that uh, helped you,
1: even maybe even help you now. No, oh, oh gosh, there's there's a ton of stuff, but I just think of the basic, you know, hand-eye coordination that I learned in you know basketball and baseball. Then um, then just constantly teamwork and working as a team in in all the sports. There's a lot of tra- uh, you know things that translate from sport to sport. But as far as like a skill set, it, it was definitely the hand-eye coordination that I got from baseball and basketball that helped me be a better football player and use those skills.
0: You like uh, recruits who play other sports?
1: I do. I, I just think they're more well-rounded.
0: Yeah, I get, you get—you know—there's such a—it's youth sports has become such a business. We talk about this a lot on this show, and you know, I—I I, uh, shake my head at some of the stuff that I see out there with people telling kids they have to specialize and you have to play something mm-hmm. year-round. And I think kids—kids kids need a break. And I—I I think you talking about sort of those skill sets that you used in the other sports. And also, I think it gives kids a chance to be, you know, go be a leader on a baseball team, go be a leader on a basketball team. And do you go out and scout that? Like, if you're scouting a quarterback, linebacker, do you go? Do you like to go see them play another sport?
1: Yeah, I like, like I love watching guys go play basketball. I think that's a, a great way to see a kid's athleticism. There's so many movements and, and quickness from lateral movement that you can see when they play basketball. I think it's a, uh, it's a great way to evaluate an athlete, especially skill positions and linebackers.
0: Trent Bray is the Oregon State head football coach. Tell me what you know now that maybe you didn't know when you <laughs> took the job.
1: How little of football in, during the on a daily basis that I would do. You know that's <laughs> probably the least of my job. So that's that was a I kind of knew that, but I, I've really figured it out since I've gotten the job.
0: Yeah, and I and I think sometimes that's not good, right? Like you got to be a good mm-hmm. delegator. And you got to take the, Some coaches like being the CEO, but you're more of a roll the sleeves up. You're going to want to get mm-hmm. in a drill, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's why I'm looking forward. And I kind of thought a lot about okay, how's practice going to look for me? Because I can't just stand there and you know twirl my whistle. You know, yeah. I got I got to be involved and and yeah. So I'm a. I thought about that a lot and find ways to to involve myself without without stepping on the coach's toes and letting them do their job at the same time.
0: Give me an idea, like, you know, you, you coached on staffs with a lot of other head coaches who had success. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw Dennis Erickson at, at Arizona State, of course. Um, you saw Mike Riley at Oregon State. Um, those guys, I never got a sense, are, were those guys walk around, twirl your whistle guys, or w- was Riley jumping in drills? Was Erickson jumping in and, you know, in an offensive drill and, and teaching and coaching?
1: Yeah, the, they did. They would they would they would jump in mostly with the quarterbacks for those two, but uh, but they would get in there and, and coach and teach and and talk to players on the sidelines. So they they were pretty good about that.
0: You you got to have some benchmarks as spring approaches. That you know you're trying. Are you still in evaluation mode with guys, or because you've been on the staff, you know this team inside and out? Like, what are you trying to get out of the spring? Is it as we move towards March?
1: Uh, well, there'll be a lot of evaluation just because we got a lot of, a lot of young guys that, that have been here for one or two years, but also, you know, we got 19 new guys that joined us this, this winter, this off season. So there'll be a lot of new faces at the same time. Um, evaluation, but mostly the, I like the talent that's on the team, both guys that we brought in and guys that were here. It's okay. How do we get them to gel, become a team, learn how to play with each other, learn how to, you know, build that, bond that that makes oregon state such a great place over really from now until the season starts
0: a lot of coaches will talk about wanting to get those young kids in early and you know they'll miss they'll miss the end of high school really and 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 uh, arrive in the spring where do you stand on that the advantage of doing that or what are those conversations like when you're having them with with young players
1: i i've always believed that if if a kid isn't realistically going to have a chance to play for you the next fall, whether it's your depth situation or, you know, I don't think it's worth bringing a kid in early. Um, I think if if it's a real that they have a chance to play, then I think it's a good thing because that extra spring, that physical development that happens in the winter, spring, and summer is good. But that's kind of my just thought on it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I would kind of be with you because I think if you're not, if the kid's not going to play, let them be a kid and let them, yeah. you know, because there's a maturity element too that you got to, I'm sure you evaluate that as well as you're talking to kids. Like if a kid's just not mature enough to come and make that jump, you don't want them there anyway.
1: Yeah. Cause it can, it can seem like a really long time. It's like a, just one season can seem like multiple years to a kid that came in early and then had to sit as a freshman.
0: All right. You're you're uh, you're in, uh, you're talking about all this non-football stuff it it's probably things like you know uh i've talked to ad's and they say they're dealing more with the collective fundraising for the collective uh going to events they're having a harder time get getting to practices these days like you know they that's what they got in the job for so when you talk about those other things you're doing as a coach uh what do we what don't we all know about the job of, of a head football coach in college
1: uh, it's just the, you know it's like scheduling um you're scheduling practices um, you're, you're just doing those kind of administrative things. Um, you're managing coaches and players at the same time. Uh, just, just a lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff that's not X's and O's. Um, mostly organizational and then administrative. And then you're, you're working with the different, you know, groups to help to how, how can we make our players daily lives better? And so whether that's through what we can do for them through our administration, through, you know, uh, whatever that might be.
0: Now, when you, when you talk about this upcoming season, uh, uh, of course people are going to be interested to see what you can do in year one. And I know you don't want to lower expectations at all, but what, what are you thinking in year one? What kind of identity will this team have under Trent Bray?
1: Um, well, one, our, our expectations are high, and I want them to be high. I think our, our talent level um, of where we're at is as, is as good as it's been. Um, I think it's just going to be a, a bunch of new guys learning how to play together. And that's going to be the difference in our season, in my opinion, um, is how well those guys come together. Because we've been fortunate over the last couple of years, those guys have played together for multiple years. They've they built up that trust in each other. We're going to have to do that in a short amount of time. Um, but, I, but I feel great about the season. I think our identity, it, it's going to be blue-collar, tough, smash-mouth, physical football. Um, that's going to separate us from the rest of the teams that we're going to play.
0: Your J coordinator, uh, obviously Keith Hayward, a guy you're familiar with. What did you like about Keith that made you say, i got to have that guy on my staff?
1: Just, I mean, super intelligent, um, knows ball, has coached at different levels in defense, in the secondary, at linebacker. Um, I've known him forever. We've clinic, clinic together in the past. We just see things the same way. Um, But he's also going to bring things from all the places he's been, the NFL, different places in the country that will help add new wrinkles to what we do and make us better. How much
0: is trust needed on a coaching staff like that? And I, I have never been in a position where I have to rely on, you know, a staff of eight or 12 or 15 people and have it, you know, come together. And, you know, you want your vision to you know to live in those guys but you also have to trust them a little bit as, as you're talking like how much is trust important in a coaching staff
1: i think it's i think it's huge and it might be the most important especially nowadays the way college football is just the way the world is now everyone's an independent contractor everyone's out for themselves being able to have people that you know and trust that you know we're going to do their job and do it the way that we want it done i think that's huge
0: all right uh Give me, a, give me a little bit of personality of Trent Bray. When you're growing up, did you collect football cards? Did you play video games? Did you? What did Trent Bray do?
1: <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time outside, um, you know, playing with the other kids in the neighborhood, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, tackle football out in the yard. I, I spent a lot of time outside. I never was a big video game guy or anything inside. I was always doing something outside.
0: You guys were playing tackle when the yard duty was said you couldn't you had to play two hand touch were you that <laughs> yeah. kid, yeah, I was that kid yeah. too, I, when the yard duty <laughs> turned her back, her name was Shirley on at my elementary school when Shirley turned her back, we were playing tackle when she turned back around it was two hand touch, so we had to, we had to kind of alternate that uh Trent Bray, hey, I wish you the best uh, I'm excited to see what you guys are going to do, excited for spring ball. Do you have dates set for spring ball? When when will you go? I know Jonathan liked to have it early. Will you stick to that earlier yeah. schedule, or what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, we're going to start March 5th, and then you know go to two weeks on, give them a break for finals and spring break, and then come back and do three weeks.
0: Is there a reason you like doing it that way?
1: Yes, the the biggest – well, a couple of reasons. So one, I, I think it's great to break up spring ball because if you – just a month straight, and I've done that with other staffs with no game, with nothing – to really to look forward to, it can become monotonous. And the last couple practices are so – really become unproductive. Yeah. And so breaking it up allows us as coaches to go back and review the first two weeks. Okay, what do we like? What do we need to clean up? You know, do we want to continue to move forward in the installer? hey, we got to slow down? Um, and then it also gives the kids a break. And I found when they come back, they're re-energized. And those last, you know, nine practices are just a lot better.
0: And also, too, I, I've talked to players who go into a spring and they'll go, gosh, I was pressing. I was trying to impress the coaches. I didn't play my best. It gives the players a chance to kind of step back and go, hey, uh, I need a reset here. And, and they can come back mm-hmm. after a break and, and, you know, maybe try to be a little more comfortable in front of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if, it, you know, a kid rolls his ankle or something, he's not out the rest of spring. He gets a lot of time to come back. So I think there's a lot of positives to it.
0: All right. Coach, uh, I appreciate you giving us your time. Look forward to seeing what you guys look like. I appreciate it. All right. Trent Bray. There he goes, Oregon State football coach. I wanted to get him on. I want to talk to Trent Bray. I want to get to know Trent Bray. I want you to get to know Trent Bray, and I want Trent Bray to get more comfortable talking to you and that's why i'm bringing him on and i'm going to keep bringing him on and we're going to find out what who is trent bray and what is he about and i think sometimes there are there are coaches especially first time coaches who have not been in this kind of setting before and it's not the most comfortable place for him but i'll give him credit like you know i reached out about a week ago and i said i'd like to get you on and bang and here he is trent bray on the show Good stuff with him. Scott Ruick, the Oregon State women's coach, is coming up at 4 o'clock. He had a really – he's having a hell of a week, okay? I don't want to spoil it, but he is having a hell of a week in a good way. Like, you want to hear an uplifting story about a dad and a college basketball coach. And by the way, they're playing two games against ranked opponents Friday night and Sunday in Corvallis. Scott ruick has got a story to tell you. Uh, later in the show, Kenny Vance makes his triumphant return to these radio waves. He is going to talk some NBA with us. Longtime radio personality, sports media personality in the state and in the region. Kenny Vance coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Is it fair? Is it fair that at the beginning of Blazer games, Chauncey Billups is getting booed? Larry on Twitter says every time Chauncey gets his name announced, he's booed. No public comments from the Blazers organization uh, on that, but Larry says he finds it telling. Why is Chauncey Billups getting booed? Isn't the booing for the franchise? Isn't the booing for Jody Allen's ownership or trusteeship or whatever we want to call the ship? That is sinking at one center court. Isn't that what the boos are for? And is Chauncey has Chauncey become the face of it? Is he the guy? Is he the scapegoat? Is he the guy getting blamed? Like, I, I actually think you could take Phil Jackson at his best. Red Arbuck Dr. James Naismith. You could take John Wooden at his prime. Pete Newell. You could take, uh, you know... Dr. Jack Ramsey at his best, create the best coaching staff in NBA history, Coach K as a consultant, P.J. Carlissimo down the bench, and at the end of it, um, Blazers wouldn't be a lot better. Rosters broken. Are they booing Chauncey, and is it fair?
2: I think they are definitely booing Chauncey, but... I also think it's fair as well. I think it's I think it's both reasons, John. I think you're right that they're booing the organization, but I think they're also booing Chauncey because there were... Now, there weren't high expectations, but there were at least expectations that there would be signs of growth, and there haven't been the signs of growth that I think a lot of fans wanted. Like, Scoot Henderson started out really bad. He's been playing better as of late, but now there's a lot of talk that he may not be the superstar that everybody sold him to be. And so I think for that, like... They blame Chauncey a little bit. They blame Joe Cronin a little bit. And they blame Jody Allen and Burt Cold a lot. And so I think when you they announce Chauncey Billups, that's the one guy they're going to announce. They're not going to show Jody Allen or Burt Cold or Joe Cronin on the big screen, but they're going to announce Chauncey Billups' name every single night. And so I think it is that's the time that they're going to boo. And they're going to boo it for the franchise. They're going to boo it for the coach. I think it's a little both. You know, I, I think it's probably. But more- I don't think
0: it's deserved. I, I I actually, like, I don't think it matters who coaches this team. Like, is he a good coach? Is he a bad coach? I don't know.
2: But isn't he kind of? He's the last like re, like he still has that stench of Neil O'Shea. Like he's the last thing that Neil O'Shea brought uh, here. Yes, and so yes. I I think that like it all plays into it because I agree with you. No coach can coach this roster to a very good record. But I think it's the stench of Neil O'Shea still, and then it's kind of hey, this guy represents the organization. We can right. boo him.
0: All right. Yeah. It uh, that's what I'm getting at. Is it fair that fans are booing Chauncey Phillips? And I'm not saying stop booing him because if the, if you if there's nobody else to boo and you want to send a message to the franchise that you're not okay with what's going on have at it like you know have at it it's your uh, you know I'm not one of these people that says you can't go to a game and boo yeah you know, if the product's bad if the organization is lost put your uh, cup your hands around your mouth and let them have it and and you know I think that's what's going on more than anything and I think if they put you know, if the pregame introductions were not for players, if they were instead, you know, uh, here's here's uh, Jody Allen, the trustee, you know, starting lineup, lineup tonight, tonight. Jody, Jody Allen! Oh, and, and she came running out, and it would be like, boo! You know, and Bla- Blazer fans would go bananas in, in a way that would be more effusive than the Chauncey Billups boos. Burt Cold would get the same reaction. Joe Cronin would get booed, too, I think, and not fairly so. I think Joe Cronin is in... The most empathetic position of them all, Joe Cronin, was the video guy promoted through the organization, became a scout, interned to GM. He was just the next guy in line. And when Neil Olshay's bad act was pushed out of the franchise, Bert looked around and said, "Who can, Who's gonna? Who can I control? I want to be the GM." And who is it here that I could have answer the phones and take the calls and bring the deals to me? It's Joe Cronin. And so it's not Joe Cronin's fault. People blaming Joe Cronin ripping on Joe Cronin. like go look at Joe Cronin and compare him to Neil Olshay. I mean completely different personalities, completely different people. We'll talk more about it with Kenny Vance coming up in the in the five o'clock hour. But I actually think, like, it's okay to boo Chauncey, but let's be clear what it's about. You're booing the organization. You're booing Jody Allen. You're booing Burt Cold. You're booing the ghost of Neil Olshay. You're booing what happened with Damian Lillard. You're booing Chauncey to a certain extent because he is, you know, left over. He's a remnant from the Olshay era. And that's it. That's what you're booing. You're booing because... This isn't what you signed up for as a Blazer fan. Not You're not booing him because, hey, you know, we should have two more wins in the win column. Um, I, I, I actually don't think, you know, whatever difference Phil Jackson would make with this roster would be, you know, just be a marginal difference. That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know.
1: This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash! Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickled bacon burger, and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about.
0: Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said today that he plans to step down from the job upon the expiration of his contract in January of 2029. Manfred's 65. He had a five-year contract extension that was approved by the owners last July. He has now been on the job 10 years. This will be his 10th season. He said, quote, you can only have so much fun in one lifetime. He's been open with the owners about the fact that this will be his last term. He is a lawyer by trade who worked with Major League Baseball since 1987, beginning as outside counsel, then as a chief negotiator in labor matters. And then he took over for Bud Selig, who spent 18 years as commissioner. Unpack that last couple of sentences a little bit. Lawyer, worked with MLB, outside counsel, then as the negotiator for labor manners. This is a lawyer who became appointed as Major League Baseball commissioner because the owner said that guy did good by us when it came to our labor deal. Rob Manfred's tenure will in part be defined by his handling of the Astros cheating scandal, if you ask some. Others by the lockout of uh, 21 and 22 that pushed the game to the, uh, to the edge of a uh, significant work stoppage. But ultimately, I think it'll be defined by what happens in the next three or four years under his tenure. Baseball is facing uh, a crisis with attendance uh, it has seemingly come, come through an era of drug uh, PEDs and and drug issues and now faces expansion and what whatever comes next for Major League Baseball. I think he's at a really interesting time for Rob Manfred. But he's basically saying, this is my swan song. It'll be really interesting to see what he does when he's not trying to uh, negotiate for another deal and just acting as the commissioner.